0: Welcome everyone. I am Andrew Duckworth and I would like to thank you for joining us for our first in a special series of BJJ podcasts on the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time of recording this on Thursday the 9th of April, data from John Hopkins University reports that we are approaching 1.5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 worldwide, with unfortunately now almost 89,000 deaths. Figures for the UK as of today are standing at over 61,000 positive cases and greater than 7,000 deaths, with yesterday sadly our highest daily death total to date, date, with over 900 deaths. The COVID-19 pandemic is without doubt the most significant healthcare crisis of our generation to date, and has led to severe global disruption, like which we have not really seen since the Second World War. Through these series of podcasts, we hope to consider the main issues that have arisen as a consequence of the pandemic for us in orthopedic and trauma surgery, as well as on our profession as a whole. This will include the impact on our day-to-day clinical practices, how we interact with our patients and the decisions we make regarding their management, as well as the effects on research, both now and moving forward. We hope to give you insights from our colleagues throughout the UK, as well as from across the globe, including hearing from colleagues working in some of the worst affected areas in the world. We also feel it's an opportunity to discuss the future, in terms of both the recovery phase and what we can anticipate when the worst of the pandemic is hopefully over. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by our Editor-in-Chief here at the Journal, Professor Faris Sadad, who I know will be able to give us an exceptional overview and insight into the impact of the pandemic on our healthcare system, The challenges we are each facing in terms of our caring for our patients, the state of research at the moment and potential opportunities available, and finally, what is in store for us moving forward. Many thanks, Prof, for taking the time to join us today.
1: Andrew, thank you. Thanks for doing this. It's a great initiative and a lot of work on your part to uh, set up and run this series of podcasts, and I hope that this will give our readers some insights into what is an incredibly rapidly moving in an unstable area but one that's affecting all of our lives
0: yeah no thank you prof no i agree so prof if we if we could just start off with the general overall impact of 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 covid if we if you could give us a general overview of the impact on our healthcare system in the uk both in terms of service provision and the potential consequences we are are seeing unlikely to have moving forward
1: yeah i mean you know the impact of this is is massive at every level i think we've got to look at it beyond the healthcare system first, in in that there is a a personal impact on each and every one of us. Uh, We all feel vulnerable. We're all unsettled. We worry about our own health. We worry about our families. We worry about our friends. uh, We worry about our workplace and our work colleagues. And we worry that our life uh, is, for a while at least, if not forever, going to be changed uh, by this event. And that is true of the healthcare system as a whole. We have a wonderful healthcare system that we're extremely proud of but it is going to be really challenged Mm -hmm. by this pandemic Uh, the reality is that the needs in terms of physician support in terms of uh, respiratory support and in terms of intensive care are going to stretch our whole system to a limit and have led have led to a cascade of changes Um, the, the, the nhs so far has done a a wonderful job of standing up to the task. But as we speak today, we probably haven't reached the worst of it in the UK. And if we're learning the lessons from abroad, there are really likely to be tougher times ahead. Mm -hmm. And these tough times are going to continue for a prolonged period. So, So as a system, the NHS has had to adapt very quickly. It's had to plan much more rapidly than it ever does. And there's a lot to be learned from that in that we've changed many things about our healthcare system and the way we work at record speed. And that's one of the positives we may be able to take away from this eventually. Uh, But the system as a whole has had to focus on on one thing. We've Mm -hmm. had to really turn our energies to the COVID battle. Mm -hmm. We have, and we can discuss this if you like, try to preserve emergency surgery, try to preserve some cancer surgery. But the reality is the system is now geared up to handle COVID surgery. And the government's response and some very impressive people, Chris Whitty from our institution at UCL, um, Patrick Balance, who used to be there, Steve Paris again from London, all all are giving this message that the response is being modeled and based around the NHS capacity to mm-hmm. cope. Yeah. At the same time, you know, beyond the healthcare system and you know our little microcosm within trauma and orthopedic surgery, there there is the effect on the economy which is devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, we we look around us and we see an economy that may take many, many years to recover. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's important to all of us individually, but that also will be important for the healthcare system that we want to deliver, for some of the innovations that we are looking at and for the, the wider orthopedic space and what we might be offering to our community. Our whole thinking will have changed radically over the, over the last few weeks.
0: No, I, I totally agree, Prof. And I think, like we, we often uh, our focus has obviously been on the NHS, which it should be. But the economy and a lot of people's lives are affected by this, and it creates other stresses, uh, big stresses that uh, that we I think we have to be wary of for our patients moving forward, don't we?
1: Absolutely, Andrew. You know, I think there's one thing for non UK people to realise, which has been quite incredible. It's an amazing thing the NHS has done, which is there is in the UK a dual healthcare system. So for non-UK people, we've got our National Health Service that we're very proud of. And there's also an independent sector, uh, an insured paid healthcare system. And for this period, the NHS has basically bought out the independent sector. And we have spent the last few weeks working out how to use that extra capacity, uh, those people, uh, that, those beds, those ventilators, in order to help our patients. So it's been really a wonderful effort Absolutely. Uh, in that respect yeah
0: no i totally agree so prof you sort of alluded to it there if we just move on slightly that's sort of the the broader view of the of the nhs in particular if we looked at our trauma and orthopedic services uh, what do you feel the key consequences and changes that we've had to implement are and because of the pandemic
1: so so, you know radical change across all of our services Uh, the elective offering which is very very important to most of our day-to-day lives has basically stopped yeah. in the UK. We have, within that, stratified certain things that may need to happen within a few weeks, but uh, you know, some types of reconstruction and so on. But the reality is that elective surgery has come to a standstill. Mm-hmm. We've had to find ways of continuing cancer surgery, both in orthopaedic and outside cancer surgery. We've had to be very creative to do that, creating sites that are ring-fenced, relatively clean, Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't be completely clean anywhere really but relatively clean and supported uh, by people who uh, c- can still do so who are not necessarily the ideal people uh, to be on the front line for various health care and other reasons so that capacity for cancer and some capacity for emergency trauma surgery has had to be maintained and those have been a challenge because they're fighting for the same space the same at the same intentivist yeah. that are needed for the covid response so there's been an overall change in our working patterns Mm -hmm. we've uh, we've had to revisit how we offer trauma how we interface with accident and emergency and fractures uh, and i think that will continue to evolve the reality is that week on week we're having to rethink what resource we need to provide outside orthopedics and what resource we continue to use within trauma and orthopedics so one of, the, one of the first things we did in London, but also elsewhere, was to give away all our junior doctors, all our, mm-hmm. in old money, house officers, senior house officers, and so on, who still have a general skill set and were incredibly useful straight away to the ITU mm-hmm. uh, and ward effort in looking after these patients. And so the consultants have shifted very rapidly into a consultant-led service, seeing patients directly as they come through the door with trauma, mm-hmm. offering Uh, very selective, rapid trauma surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, And increasingly, let's talk about staffing first and then we can move on to exactly what we do, but we're going to give up more registrars and we're already rotating more consultants to help on the front line, turning Mm -hmm. patients on ITU, helping with communication with relatives, Mm -hmm. uh, being scribes on electronic medical records in general, just supporting the
0: COVID effort. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. at the same time, we, of course, need to continue to offer you know, cancer orthopaedic surgery where that is offered and streamline that and to offer trauma work and some post-trauma reconstruction. But again, there, we've got to really consider very carefully what we're doing and uh, whether it is right for that patient to have an operative intervention or not. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've got to be much more selective as to who has surgery, not just because we've got limited capacity to offer it. We've got consultant-led care and we've got theatres for the time being that may reduce over time but because the risk of these people contracting covid in hospital particularly yeah. our elderly population it, it, it this seems to be a devastating disease in a very tiny minority of people but when it does set in and when these patients end up in respiratory distress and ventilated the outcomes are pretty poor and Absolutely. when we're when we're looking at our fractured neck of population or our elderly patients with uh, you know compromised implants they're still getting prosthetic fractures those are patients at high risk.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And in terms of you sort of alluded to already, Prof. What 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 do you feel have been? Uh, you know, obviously that we have we have we are losing our, and continue to lose our our, our junior staff. What do you, what do you feel the impacts are going to be in the short and maybe the longer term with regards to training uh, for for them?
1: Oh, I, no doubt, we we we're, we're, we're uh, in in a difficult place in the, the standard training that they were going to get. Mm. has been deeply compromised they are going to have a set period and it's tough to know how long that period is where they're not going to be seeing the volume of standard orthopedic surgery they would have seen even Mm. the volume of trauma is going to be dramatically reduced we've seen with lockdown a very reduced footfall of injuries and road traffic accidents Mm. so whichever way you look at it their exposure in orthopedics is going to be reduced, and I suspect many of our trainees will have, will lose several months of training time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have to look at that as time lost forever from that perspective, although I think some of them will become more resilient, some of them will get better at decision making, and a lot of them will hopefully reflect on what they've learned so far and come out of this yes. uh, as more rounded trainees and more rounded doctors than they were before. And so when we come to assess their competency at the end of all of this, Uh, there may be a silver lining in that some of our Mm. trainees will come out as uh, better doctors and better surgeons as a result of the wider perspective that COVID is going to give all of us.
0: No, I totally agree. I think it does. It's such a, 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 you know, not really an opportunity, but it's such a unique time. And there are, like you said, there's much to be learned out with our specialty itself, but it rounds us all as as medical professionals. Um, So if we just move on, Prof, then, and and talk about research, obviously, I, I know and we all know that our main efforts at the moment are on the um, clinical provision of services of care for our patients, and that's our, everybody's main focus. And, and a lot of research obviously has either stopped or paused or altered in many ways. Um, but if we move on to that, could you comment on what you feel the impact has been overall on, 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 our, on our research, and how we're going to sort of move forward, I suppose, in both the short and the longer term?
1: So, so the impact's been interesting in that most ongoing research has had to stop. That's certainly been our view. And I think we're going to learn a lot from this has been, there is a strong research community We're a biomedical research center, and many others like, you know, there are many centers like us around the country who are committed to high level research. We've decided that the research effort right now needs to be on COVID Mm -hmm. and therefore uh, let's stop all the other work that can be stopped. You know, we stopped elective surgery anyway, so a lot of that work has gone by the wayside for the time being. Mm. I think that's that, that's important because if you take all these people and all their energy and focus them on one thing, a bit like the reconfiguration of services, it will deliver results at speed that we just don't normally get. Yeah. You know, A lot of the, the bureaucracy and the, the, the paperwork around research that slows it down, we need to rethink in future because this has shown us that we can really get going with COVID-based research and move it at breakneck speed. For some of our community, this has been an opportunity to uh, have some space and some time, particularly in this early phase of the, of the disease progression in the UK, where they're catching up with data, writing up work, they've not had the opportunity to write up for a while. So we, we are seeing and uh, will see some of that. And I think that's helpful. Many of us as researchers don't get the headroom to stop think about our data think about our research and so they're producing that work and it may well change what work they do in in future absolutely and some and some people of course within our community are starting to do covid based data collection you know mm-hmm. this is not high level research yet but it's it's interesting work and we need to look at it we're learning by experience we're transferring into information in, in very modern ways at the moment in very very rapid ways But but ultimately, we're going to have to get a solid uh, bit of research around really what we should be doing in this space. And this may be a one-off event. This may repeat itself. And we really need to be clear how we're going to be offering trauma surgery and what we're going to do with elective orthopedics moving forward in the face of this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what do you, I suppose, related to that, Prof, what do, you, what do you feel the role of the journal is with regards, you know, ensuring that COVID-related research in particular at the moment, I suppose, is disseminated as, as quickly as we can do and and, and also to maintain a quality to it as well?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, the, the, the key thing with the journal has always been that we look for and publish methodologically sound research that changes clinical practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the The reality here is that there are some bits of information, some messages that need to be put out there really quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of those may not be validated as to the strength and to the depth that we would normally expect. So some of that material is going to appear in these podcasts. I think these podcasts are important as the journal's way of relaying information from around the world as this epidemic unravels. Mm -hmm. We will keep doing these and we will... Uh, find other ways of disseminating information as we go, whilst the real underpinning literature comes out. And in the interim, our sister journal, Bone and Joint Open, which is an open access journal, is a, is a, is a much more flexible uh, publication. And it is one in which we are starting to put some COVID-related research. Some of this is just case series, and some of it is opinion and experience. But I think it's useful, and it will help our community as a whole, as we, we all face our individual challenges in our centres.
0: Absolutely, Prof. And I think, I think that's sort of that balance we're trying to strike, isn't it, With it, not just in orthopaedics, but in all the uh, the various specialties in regards to COVID, is that it, it's trying to maintain that quality of research, but it's difficult as something is evolving and relatively new, isn't it? It's to maintain that, that high level of evidence or methodology that we're aiming for.
1: Uh, yeah, it's going to take us time to get the level of research and the level of evidence that we really want. Hmm. But it's also going to open our eyes to to thinking laterally to, you know, what is the the impact of patient's physiology on their response to COVID? What mm-hmm. is the impact of the drugs that they are on? There are all sorts of things here that should get us to think slightly more widely and that we will be able to look at people's genetic profile and see if they are more at risk or not, that we should not lose sight of and then translate back to orthopedic research. in some respects, research-wise, this is a bit of a wake-up call. We've all been pursuing various areas of research that we've landed in for a variety of reasons. And what COVID will do is it will refocus what is really important here. What does our community, our society, our population need out of us as musculoskeletal researchers? And we should ask those questions again as we recover from this and start reinvigorating our effort and our money and our resource into those critical questions.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's sort of, that moves on nicely, Prof, I suppose, mentioning the future. Um, you know, uh, if we sort of hopefully finish up, I suppose, hopefully on a more positive note if possible, but how do you envisage the future moving forward? I mean, it's hard to predict. I mean, nobody can really predict this, and it's a very dynamic thing that, like you say, as already said, has changes every day, but how do you think we're going to move forward, I suppose, particularly as a specialty, and what challenges are we, do you anticipate we're going to face moving forward?
1: I, mean, I think it's, there are lots of, challenges we're going to face for several months the reality is this is not just going to peak and disappear Mm -hmm. there will be uh, thousands and thousands of patients that we still need to look after and there'll be knock-on effects that we need to deal with for a long time i think as as i've mentioned i think our resilience is going to be tested we are going to have to work very differently for a prolonged period supporting our intensivist and uh, respiratory and other physician colleagues so we're going to have to work out of our comfort zone for a while. Mm-hmm. And that will bring benefits because, actually, I think we will get better at decision-making. We will learn to be more resilient. We will discover our role as doctors and not just as orthopedic surgeons. And I think our outlook subsequently will be different. And then we need to already start thinking, you know, how are going to bounce back from this? Because the reality is that elective surgery is not optional surgery. Mm. These are, you know, our patients need the care that we normally deliver. And so we're going to have to gear up to be really efficient to catch up with the months and months where we haven't been able to deliver the care that uh, we've got, we we're used to doing. But there are big research opportunities with that within that. You know, there are good data opportunities there for us to learn things, and it's also an opportunity to revisit what we're doing. It has changed our practice in so many ways, from cancer care to trauma care to. The downgrading of elective surgery—that we really will need to learn and reconsider mm-hmm. what, what, what it is that we do best for each condition—and and I think there's a huge opportunity there. We, particularly in, the, in your world in the trauma world, there are lots of interventions we've now stopped doing, even yeah. when they occur, and we can ask those questions again uh, when the time comes. So, you know, ultimately, this is going to be a key event in all of our lifetimes. We're all going to need to look back and see how we reacted, what we learned. And the key thing is that we, as a community, bounce back from this strong and deliver better trauma and orthopedic research, training, teaching, and ultimately surgery and patient care at the end of it.
0: No, I totally agree, Prof. And I think that's a, a nice a way to finish up actually, because I think that's very clearly what, what we really have to do as a community moving forward and obviously supporting all of our colleagues throughout the healthcare profession. Um, Well I think that's all we have time for Prof, so uh, again thank you so much for your excellent overview and insights today, it really has been informative uh, and thanks for joining us. Thank you Andrew. And finally, as we repeat many times at the end of these uh, podcasts in in these series, uh, we would like to acknowledge and thank our many colleagues around the UK and across the world for their ongoing tireless contributions in the delivery of care to our patients during this pandemic. Uh, We at The Journal thank you and will continue to support you in every way we can moving forward. Stay safe and well, and thanks for listening.